Hello everyone and welcome to the Vassals of Kingsgrave and welcome to the fifth episode of Creature Chat, a podcast series where we discuss all manner of creatures. And today we are going to be discussing werewolves. I'm your host Peter, I'm also known as Shellfish and I'm joined by Sarah. Hey, it's Sarah, aka Dr. Blood. And Abby. Hi, it's Abby or Daisy Mormont. And Adam. Hey, it's Adam. Drown snow on the forums. And Volley. Hey, it's Matt. And joining us for the first time, I believe, we also have Kit. Hi, uh, I'm Kit. I'm KG Canary on the Discord. Welcome. Good to have you with us. Did you say in your introduction that you had been on a podcast in 2012, I believe? Uh, I was, it was, I think it was Battle of the Blackwater, where there was about 40 people on the call. So I don't know if I actually said anything. (laughs) Okay, so you're a bit of a veteran, even though this is your first time on the Vassals of Kingsgrave podcast. I've been lurking for a while. So that would have been the actual podcast of Ice and Fire that you guest hosted. Oh, I guess it would have been. So, it was one where they had a ton of yeah. yeah, I remember that episode. Yeah, I remember so, that. Was your forum name the same? No. Um, I actually don't remember what my forum name was, but I wasn't very active. So, yeah, and now, again. Okay. Now it's like the forum's like, we can't even go back and look anymore. So I'm like, I don't remember anything anymore. <laughs> well, they're still up. I went there today to look at an old thread, but yeah, it's not very active. Oh, now. I couldn't get in there like three or four days ago. It was closed. So, weird. Okay, I guess it goes up and down. And I believe we might be joined later on by Jock and Ben as well, but um, they'll just join us on the fly. And uh, as I said earlier, our topic today is werewolves. So let's start with a, as we usually do, with a definition. I think we all know that a wolf is like a mean dog that lives in the woods, but uh what is a were, then? What's the were part of werewolf? I mean, man. I feel like I should have the answer to this man? as yeah, I, the linguist, man. but I have no fucking clue. Like a guild was well, a, I mean, yeah. Sesame Street taught me it's very important, like the W's, who, what, when, where, and why. So <laughs> where would be, I guess, in the den? They're werewolves, not werewolves. I second that where... Oh no, I have embarrassment all over my face. Embarrassment all over your face. I don't know if that was a reference or something I missed, but... Indeed. It's like your werewolf. The wolf wants a snack. Yes, that's the puppy. He's very hungry right now. She's getting her lunch. All right, Google tells me that where does in fact mean man. Didn't like, know that. Google verify. I mean, we didn't we didn't trust the PhD over there or what? <laughs> I thought you said it as a question. You were like, doesn't it mean man? I don't know, but I thought it was a question. Okay, I heard an inquisitive tone, so I was curious. <laughs> what language is that? Old I know English? It from old English, so I assume yeah. it's Germanic. Yes, but it's, it's um, cognate, or it's it's the same origin as um, Wear Guild, which is the mm. blood price that you pay for killing someone. So it's, that's literally man, man gold. gold. 
I was about yeah. to call it man price, but that means something different. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's basically, yeah. So man, wolf, wolf, man. So it's a kind of a wolf that has manish qualities or a man that has wolfish qualities. Is that correct? Uh, there's usually an element of shape-shifting in most lore. Sometimes it's like physical and sometimes it's more... Uh, I was about to say spiritual, but I don't think that's the right word for it. Yeah, I think I read this popular fantasy series where there was this kid who would dream, uh, go to sleep and then he would live as a wolf mm-hmm. instead of being the kid that he was. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I was going to say. So is there is there anything in any lore where the werewolf is a wolf that takes on human characteristics? I mean, usually it's a man that takes on wolf characteristics, right? I think in the earlier stories, it was less of a, like, I think it was less of a prioritization of one or the other, right? So, like, there was just, like, a a person who was sometimes a wolf, but it was no more or less wolf or person, whereas, like, I don't, I'm not explaining this very well, but whereas now I feel like it's, you're, like, mostly a human but then sometimes you turn into a wolf. I think sometimes it's just like, just sometimes the wolf is a person right. and sometimes it's, you know. Well, but I mean, cause like, yeah, it's like a human gets bit and becomes a werewolf. But like, if there was like wolves being raised up to kind of like, you know, they turn into humans sometime, that would be a different name, maybe? Do we have a name for that? I don't know. Hmm. Well, I um, believe in the Fables, Fables comic series and the Telltale games, uh, Wolf Among Us game, you actually play yes, or the main character is the big bad wolf, big B wolf, and so basically his like true form is that of a wolf, but he can turn into a man, and sort of a half wolf, half man werewolf form as well. So there's, I suppose, some stories where, a bit like dragons, like we talked about, where they have a human form as well, when they can sort of infiltrate society, and it's also much easier and cheaper in a live action show to have them be in human form most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in folklore, there's kind of, I think it's called the animal bride motif normally, where it's a animal which becomes a human through some Mm -hmm. kind of transformation that is trapped as being a human. And I'm wondering if there's any crossover between that's like like swan like swan maidens um, selkies, selkies. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. sometimes like it's related to Kitsune. Well. Yeah. yeah. Kitsune um, is the Japanese uh, yeah. fox thingy. I'm not that up on Japanese folklore, so I'm just throwing that out there. All I know about Kitsune is from Teen Wolf, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say that might not be accurate. <laughs> and like, I think I watched like one episode of Naruto when I was like eight. And I think that's a big, he's like a fox thing, right? That's like his, that's his, his deal. He fox. He has the demon of fox inside him. He's not a fox thing. Is that okay. the same thing as the nine-tailed fox in some Asian? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what a kid mm-hmm. is, I think. I know, and I'm not sure, because like, um, I know Native Americans have, I, I want to call them skin changers, but that's from <laughs> Song of Ice and Fire. But they have like their own mythology uh skinwalkers yeah and i'm not sure i'm sure there is a wolf in that as well just because they're indigenous to the area too but i'm not sure if um how that mythology works if they're the animal first and they disguise themselves as people or if they're people who have the 
capacity to turn into animals. Yeah, often uh, I feel like Mar there's also Mar like um, Marley spirits. says they're called the Wendigo. Yes, that is the word I'm thinking. The Wendigo or the starvation cannibalism. When you resort to cannibalism after that, you turn into a Wendigo and yeah. create murder and stuff afterwards. But they don't have, um, I yeah. don't think there's, they have shape-shifting capabilities, do they? Like, they're just... They're no, yeah, like they, they turn into, like, a, a big kind of monster. I think they just stay as the monster, usually. That was my... Yeah, I feel like most Wendigo I've seen, they have horns or antlers, so they're not necessarily very wolf-like, but I suppose yeah. there's a lot of overlap there. But I they're see. in a lot of um, a lot of fiction, and they're kind of controversial now, apparently. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I kind of feel like in some more modern werewolf tales, there's some kind of a tendency to use Native American folklore or mythology to sort of kind of lend some le legitimacy to werewolves in a way to kind of like, oh, they're magical Native American uh, mm -hmm. werewolves, so that's that's okay then, or something like that, that it's not, yeah, that's kind of a trend that I've noticed. Just another thing we can appropriate. Yep. Oh, yeah, the uh, I'm seeing in the chat, uh, the wolver is a very cool creature. Yeah, so I think... Is it Twilight, where they got in trouble for, you know, she was using the Native Americans, which is like a whole other thing. But I think I think the idea there is to try to, like, tie it to, you know, kind of something that we look at as possibly like kind of noble or normal. So you have, like, this tribe of werewolves or whatever, and then like, oh, they can have, you know, they're not just like mindless savages, they can have goals and tradition and all that. Um, but then people call it appropriation, which I don't know why. You know, yeah, it's kind of Norse mythology appropriation, kind of so I don't know. I think the controversy with... I guess the idea with... might be... Oh. I well, saying, no, I, I just I mean savage in the, in the sense of, like, a werewolf is just running around as a one-off, killing people without control, versus, like, having a defined kind of, like, naturalistic culture. So using, you know, indigenous people sort of, you know, I, I guess probably makes the well, most sense. Well, I think the idea <laughs> is, like, because werewolves are seen as like solitary which is weird because both humans and wolves live in groups and so I guess like in uh what Stephanie Meyer's idea was like we often view like indigenous people as like kind of still having this like tribal association I guess which is like we would see it more as like a pack which I think is where the cultural like lines mm. kind of become yeah i feel like is it this. like right is it because like it's like, like a sort of a aspect of the noble savage idea there mm -hmm. that oh the, yeah. they live, live in harmony with the land it's more of a fierce fierce sense of community and, and noble land. land yeah yeah and it's like not all indigenous groups are hunter gatherers like actually quite a lot of them are sedentary so it, it becomes this kind of like I think I get what you were going for, yeah, but... Yeah, I feel like there's yeah. some sort of legitimacy to that because I feel like uh, people who do live in pastoral or hunter-gatherer societies probably would be closer to the animals in their daily lives and sort of practice shamanism and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know in these modern depictions if that's so good. But I guess we could also ask... Um, like how long have human beings been telling these stories about werewolves and shapeshifters? Probably forever. Yeah, I would think it's been forever as well. I mean, because wolves probably have been a like a big part of human life 
longer than there's been human beings. Like when we were apes, we probably also had a lot of trouble with dogs and dogs of different kinds, like hyenas and wolves and stuff like that. Dogs aren't hyenas cats. Didn't we learn that? Sorry, no. what's that? No. I thought I thought I learned the other day hyenas were uh, feline, not canine. I could be wrong. They're neither, I think. I think, I think they're classified as canine, but they're they seem more like. But they were there. But yeah, I feel like I feel like you have like the wolves, you know, uh, you know, circling the you know the campfires and stuff, and eventually, you know, we domesticate dogs. So it's like kind of a natural progression of like you see these animals sort of circling the campfire, you know thousands of years ago or whatever and then to tell stories of like what if one of them visits as one of us you know type of thing so be careful so the um the earliest western attestations that i'm aware of at least literary um there are elements of like kind of wolfishness in the um warriors in the iliad and especially the homeric heroic warriors which would be like bronze age Greece sort of culturally and then written a little bit later um one of their the words for their battle frenzy is um lusa which is also the word for rabies um and she's like the personification of madness and kind of like ravening beasthood but um it's a it's a word that's used for like that battle rage similar to um like the berserkers so they do have this sense that like you become wolfish um and there's actually a there's actually a simile in the iliad where the myrmidons which are um achilles soldiers are compared in their excitement for battle to wolves that have gone out and like slain a herd of deer and eaten so much that their stomachs are so full that they're like vomiting um which is a really nice image but uh very wolfish <laughs> so that was <laughs> oh, a, that's cool a, yeah it was like a it was like a positive and a negative um but then in the middle ages it becomes more um, closely associated with like sort of villainy and um, like uh, purely negative. So it's, you know, it, it gets lumped in with, you know, devil worship and um, witchcraft and things like that. So that may be another reason for the the kind of turn, the modern turn towards um, like Native American appropriation is that it's it's a way of kind of accessing the the earlier versions of the lore before it got like purely negativized or, or largely negativized. Uh, I'm not saying that makes it okay. I'm just, <laughs> that may be part of the impulse. Not um, wolves specifically, but we have, I'm trying to remember, there's a cave painting and I think it's in France. It's called the Sorcerer. And it's like the first depiction of like a human animal hybrid or a human animal transformation. Yeah, I believe that is from the uh, Cave of Three Brothers in France. Yeah, so like we're we're going back, like you said, probably even pre-modern um, humanity in terms of having a relationship with wolves, or even possibly, you know, lore about transformation. And you were mentioning uh, ancient Greece, and there's like the really classic. I think it's King Lycon or Lycaon. I don't know how it's ex originally pronounced, but it's the Lycan. king. Yep. Yeah, the king who Zeus turns into a wolf as a punishment. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you scratch the surface. That's where the word like oh. comes from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I he, thought it was just you know, underworld and Kate Beckinsale, but you know, I could be wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of those um, sort of myths in 
the ancient Mediterranean area where a god curses a mortal like King Midas gets asses or donkeys ears in some tale as yeah. well. And yeah, it's cool that there's that connection with like yeah. when I first around the Mediterranean, man, the gods were dicks. <laughs> Where are like, the we, the... Yeah. Well, I mean, it's some in some some cultures like the gods are mostly benevolent, and you have kind of the evil gods. But like, I feel like you know most of like the Greek and Roman pantheon is like all of them did something like pretty shitty. So like, whatever temple you worship at, you're like you're cool with that. Like, yeah, it's fine. We've talked about this before, though. That the the gods, I mean, the Mediterranean gods at least, were not. They weren't sort of overtly evil they were just completely immoral and that that was the actual like prerogative of divinity like yeah. sort of the finding characteristic was just like the ability to be do whatever the fuck you want yeah yeah exactly yeah um but lycan lycan is interesting because he's regarded um sort of in the immediate story as being like a tyrant and um he tricks he tricks zeus or he tries to trick zeus into eating the flesh of his own son lycan's son because he doesn't believe that um, Zeus, who's been visiting him in human form, is really a god, or he wants him to to prove that he is. And so he says, like, if he's really a god, then he'll know that I've mixed human flesh in with this meal. Um, so he kills his son and, and serves him to yeah. Zeus. And Zeus does know That's like a hardcore, like, Abraham sacrifice twist there. Like, I'm yeah. going to trick this god by actually doing the murdering before it's asked. Jeez. Yeah. Um, Reminds me so, of the so rat cook does... in A Song of Western Fire as well. Yes. Yeah. Because what's the story. what's the benefit there if like Zeus is like, oh, there's there's human flesh in this. Like, oh, you're a god. Ah, oh, shit. Gotcha. My son's dead. Well, yeah. that, that was a costly <laughs> test. Well, like not only is the son dead, but you have just openly, you know, questioned Zeus's divinity, which is like never a good. So yeah. So you gotta get some lightning bolts up your butt on that one. Yeah. It's just really <laughs> cool. um, and then the so, but oh, he's also regarded as a culture hero. So he um he found the rites of Lycia, um, which Plato references in um, The Republic. And there's an element of human sacrifice in that too. And they mix like one morsel of human flesh in with the sacrificial meal and whoever eats it turns into a wolf for nine years. Um, and then they get to come back to humanity if they don't eat human flesh for that whole time. So there is like a, like a religious kind of um, shamanistic component to it, even though the the initial thing is a punishment. Like he does become this kind of like cultural founder um, of these actual religious, right? Sarah, can, can I just say that it's nice whenever you're on for these because then it's not just us being like, well, you know, in Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> I like to bring a little balance to that. Yes. I'm like, I know this there's is, historical yeah, context, but I have not had time to look it up. So yeah. um, <laughs> thank you. But sorry, Abby, you had something to add. Oh, it's like, it's kind of a non sequitur, so I'll just post it in the chat. I just thought it was funny. I was going through some notes I had on Mesoamerican culture to, like, see if I found anything on um, animal transformation, because I was trying to remember something, but I thought of it wrong. But it's just, it has nothing to do with actual animal transformation. It's just okay. a thing, so I'll just post it in it's the chat. It's not animorphs? No, no, it's, it's just about sacrifice, like human sacrifice that I thought was funny. So, you know, no, that funny right. thing, human sacrifice. Human sacrifice I mean, no, is I really always funny. <laughs> How many thousands were sacrificed? That's that's what makes it more funny. So, 
Tlaloc associated with a number of child sacrifices. Tlaloc said to require tears of the young priest would make children cry. Good omen if children cried a lot. Believe this would make rain come. So the rain is made of children's tears. Very good. Well, crap. I just thought, like, I, the way I read it, I was like, I just read, like, my, I was scanning, I saw good omen if children cried a lot. And I was like, what? <laughs> what did I read? I mean, honestly, though, children cry about everything. So I really feel like that's a much tamer, like, child sacrifice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I would be okay with that, I think, where you're like, no, you can't have the green cup. And, like, suddenly we have, you know, torrential rain for the next three seasons. <laughs> Potent reagent. It's pretty valid. Don't let it go to waste. Something that I do think is quite interesting because I was trying, I was also looking through the notes that I had on um, the uh, Thule culture in um, the Alaska and stuff. And like, yeah. I thought that there might be some association, like mention of wolves and stuff. Cause like, what, you know, they live up there, but um, I found nothing. Like, I guess maybe they wolves and like dogs did not want to live that far North, but um, I was quite surprised by that, that there's no um, like wolf mythology. It's mostly whales and birds. So that was interesting to me. Where is that? Um, the Thule culture in um, oh. like the Mackenzie Delta area and yeah. um, like Alaska and the that kind of thing. I mean, there are wolves in Alaska, right? Yeah. Mm, Siberia. Yeah, I'm just like I. Yeah, I'm looking at. I mean, I I studied whaling culture, so like obviously you don't use oh, whales to hunt. Yeah. I mean, dogs to hunt whales, but like even so, I thought there <laughs> might like, might have. <laughs> I thought Not more than once. Some, some mention where we discussed, you know, dogs being used in any capacity, but um, I do not see anything. Yeah. So I think you use dogs to hunt whales just differently. It's like, <laughs> hey, paddle out there and see if there's a whale. <laughs> they got Fido. There's a whale. <laughs> Does anyone think that kind of like the historic attitude towards wolves as being these kind of like almost evil, like hunger based creatures has anything to do with like the close relationship that most cultures had to dogs historically there seems like there's definitely be something more there. lean like, they're evil dogs like, you think they're, they're well, more, more gaunt like, they have bigger teeth yeah. like i can see that they're not as friendly looking it's like they're similar to something that we like keep in our homes and live beside and you know love and utilize but they will 100 percent eat a baby I don't know. Yeah, I think it feels like there's something there. Mm. Like because they have sort of inhabited that space. They're the uncanny valley of dogs. I mean, a lot of those anxieties were mapped onto dogs, though, too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that there was a very, very keen sense that, um, you know, that a dog could easily, like, Priam is afraid of that in the Iliad, in the Odyssey, um, the shepherd Aeumaeus has to, or the swineherd, has to, like, throw rocks at his own dogs in because they try and attack Odysseus when he shows up, and he says, like, if he had allowed his dogs to eat him, he would have been held responsible for their violation of um, hospitality. <laughs> so, like... Yeah, no, that's a good that, point. And dogs but, are very, like, liminal in a lot of folklore, yeah, that they're like held to human standards, but yeah, we're but also, also they that that's carry like very unrealistic. Yeah. yeah, I think it depends yeah. on the culture too. Yeah, so um, on the vampire episode, we talked a little bit about things that might have inspired the vampire myth, sort of real scientific or medical things. 
And I thought we might do the same for werewolves and uh, sort of consider if there's some diseases, for example, that might cause a person to behave in a way that we might associate with werewolves. So that's what like, before we do that on the on the topic of the vampires, could we just mention in the chat the um, the whole thing of they're saying like uh, there's vaccines being offered at Dracula's castle in Romania? Highly sus. Definitely will not turn you into a vampire. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'd get my shot there. I'm just saying. I don't know if I'd donate blood there either, so, you know. That'd be pretty funny, though, if they did use that as, like, a, uh, like a Red Cross <laughs> drive area. <laughs> These are for purely official and save yourself from the vampires. Well, I don't know if it's still considered a, a, a um, like a psychological condition, but I believe at some point at least there used to be something that was like psychological lycanthropy, where the uh, person hmm. affected like does believe that they can transform or that they are like partly like not possessed, but like they can embody a wolf, they become a wolf. I should have done the, some research the, before this podcast. For the DSM, lycanthropy is any animal that uh, mm. perceives they are. Oh, so is it like a form of psychosis? Lycan for a werewolf. Mm. Is that still used or? Uh, probably. So, Abby, we're talking about real diseases that might have might have inspired werewolf myths mm -hmm. and um yeah so there's certainly something that makes people think that or very closely associate themselves with an animal or identify so, with that okay from wikipedia real quick clinical lycanthropy is defined as a rare psychiatric syndrome that involves a delusion that the affected person can transform into has transformed into or is an animal its name is associated with the mythical condition of lycanthropy a supernatural affliction in which humans are said to physically shapeshift into wolves it is a purported to be a rare disorder cool nice and is that in any way associated with furries I don't think so, but if you want to <laughs> associate that, go, go right we ahead. We apologize to all the furries listening. In all levels except the physical, I am a wolf. Also, there's a study conducted on lycanthropy at McLean Hospital, which is right outside Boston and part of our network. Cool. Yeah, so I mean, bringing this back to like a song of ice and fire, obviously, like, you know, Rob and... Um, John, to an extent, kind of like take on like kind of like the wolf-like characteristics because of their relationships with their direwolves. Like, is there any sort of historical figure that kind of, I mean, not even necessarily just a wolf, but are there any sort of like historical figures that kind of thought themselves more animal-like like that? I'm trying to think of someone, but like well, there are a few that I think that kind of embraced like a, you know, embraced well, the like founding a, myth of the of Rome is that Romulus and Remus were nursed by a wolf, and I believe that the wolf oh, is right. used as a kind of a totem animal for Rome wolves, due to that yeah. in a lot of ways. Do you know that one of the explanations for that myth is um, that the word for she-wolf in uh, 
Latin is the same as the word for a prostitute. <laughs> so that's to like four? to discredit. Hold them, on. Hold they on. They say like, oh no, she was actually just they were just nursed by a prostitute. Like, they were just throwing shade at sex work, and we're like, it can't be that. It has to be a wolf. Right. Interesting. I thought um, that there was like um, a wolf fighter in Norse uh, culture that was like kind of like the berserker. The berserker was thought to like take on the spirit of a bear, and then another one was thought to take on the spirit of a wolf, and they basically were the same thing. They're just insane people that fought naked and scared other people. There yeah, are. Yeah, suppose um, we. That sounds. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, there are a few um, historical, like, quote, werewolf cases where the uh, person on trial for murder and, in some cases, cannibalism, like, for, for either firmly believed or at least very ardently claimed that they were a wolf, they could transform into a wolf, the devil gave them the ability to turn into a wolf, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, like, stump in the werewolf yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and he got a also, magical like a uh, belt from the devil that mm -hmm. changed into wolves. And then finally uh, the people took him down and he was like drawn and quartered over the uh, wheel and everything. And then his head was stuck on a spike to uh, scare everyone. But many didn't people, also, that's just like a myth. Uh, did he also kill his wife and daughter just like because? Yep. Nice. Uh, he actually married his daughter, I think too. There's like some crazy incest portion of it. Oh no. Yeah, it's kind of a cool quote. I don't know if it's, again, we're on, we're on Wikipedia, so citations needed. But he claimed that the devil had given him a magical belt or girdle, which enabled him to metamorphose into the likeness of a greedy, devouring wolf, strong and mighty, with eyes great and large, which in the night sparked like fire, a mouth great and wide with most cruel, with most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body and mighty paws. Yeah. Oh, fucking metal. I know. Thank you for that. <laughs> like terrible guy, but they th they think it was like uh, to, to uh, it was during like the War of Reformation, so they were trying to bad mouth like um, Protestants, and this guy was a Protestant or something or a Catholic or whatever. They think it was just propaganda the story, but um, yeah, I think it, it, it like there's other cases I think in France, but it's just um, it starts to get mixed in with like this wild man mythology, which. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, like yeah. the wood woes? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, and, and like I, Chewbacca? Like Chewbacca, <laughs> like uh, Sasquatch. Yeah, like uh, the big hairy guy who lives in the woods. And... Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, there is like, like the uh, Western European tradition of the, the wild man, which kind of crosses over with the green man and a lot of that. Um, I don't know where that sentence was going. So it's kind of like can be seen as a, as a sort of personification of nature, the green man at least. And mm -hmm. I feel like the wild man can also be kind of like we get Condonis and Pan and kind of like these here figures that mix animal and human characteristics that live in the woods and kind of like satyrs and fauns and centaurs and stuff like that. And they kind of like maybe maybe those stories are about the beast in in us in some ways and i feel like werewolves have taken that place in modern fantasy in some places as well where they're often 
kind of associated with nature magic like they are in a song of ice and fire or druidic magic in a lot of like games like dungeons and dragons or warcraft where they're like mm-hmm. uh shape-shifting is kind of a yeah. benevolent nature magic thing i do think wolves tend to be like a more um more portable form of nature which is like a a weird way to think about it but i do think that they have um as opposed to just the sort of wildness that's um embodied in the woodwose or the um the green man that like they have a tendency to invade human spaces more frequently than some and then a lot of other animals so like like Peter, you told us about that wolf that was spotted in Helsinki, right? Like it's just hanging <laughs> yeah. out in a construction site. Like, um, but you know, like the the uh the old English like beast of battle, right? Like that there's this very pervasive sense that wolves are among a very few creatures that um that are consistently present at like very human places and, and very human events um in ways that maybe like bears aren't necessarily um or other other animals aren't yeah and they'll break into sheep folds and kill all the sheep or cattle and like they also the fact that they live in packs and sort of like that probably reminds us of us as we are also social animals and we organize ourselves in larger groups and like a a pack of wolves can be feel almost like a horde an invading horde of enemies or something like that can we think of any sort of foundational werewolf stories, like something that's would be like the most important werewolf story in our culture, like for example, vampires, there's Dracula. So the most important werewolf story to me <laughs> was a story that my father told me. And when he was in the Navy there, uh, there um, docked in Italy somewhere. Um, and his buddy got so drunk that he was like screaming and yelling and, uh, some little villager thought he was a werewolf and shot at him. So then the <gasps> magistrate board had to meet with the captain and everything. Like it, they didn't shoot him. They just shot at him, but still shooting at a, you know, American military personnel was not, uh, you know, um, okay. It was frowned upon. Yeah. So this was like, uh, like 78 or 79. So it, it was very recent, but I always loved that story because like, I just imagine, you know, first getting so drunk that you just acting like, you know, just screaming out loud, whatever, taking off your clothes or whatever. And, uh, and then getting shot at by a villager who still believes in werewolves and thinks you are a werewolf. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like an actual, no offense, Farley, but like an actual piece of media, you know, that's like. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean, though? Like, like a, a non-modern. All right, Teen Wolf, the TV show. Same throne. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think like a foundational piece of work besides this, which I've never heard of the lycanthropy um, thing that uh, Sarah was talking about in the Greek mythology. And like, I feel like there are not. Unless I'm just, my brain is completely blanking. Yeah, I feel blanking. like they're, they're right but about I, that, that there isn't because, really one. And I feel like the reason for that is, like, there's not, like, a lesson that you can learn from werewolves. Like, like with with most supernatural what creatures, about, it's like, oh, don't do not this. Not against nature. Yeah, I guess, but, like. Respect nature, that sort of thing. 
and it could also be used as an allegory for like the past and barbarism compared to the encroachment of modernity. Yeah, it's like that quote. I think this is only from Game of Thrones and not from the books. From Jorah says to Danny that there's a beast in every man, and it stirs when you put a sword in his hand. So maybe like the moral of the story could be that you know that there's these dangerous urges inside us that we have to control, and sometimes they kind of like burst loose, I suppose, or become unchained, and some then will get like lunatics or murderers and stuff like that well that's why I mean, like uh, defense attorneys use like temporary insanity or something you know like you find your lover or something with another person and you just lose your mind for a second like i think it uh you're right that there's something kind of inherent in us that you know we have to keep in check you know what whether it's like a hobbesian kind of idea like you know where we are animals and we deserve to be in nature and that's where we thrive or Peter, I, I would say from like a literary perspective, if we're looking for something comparable to Dracula, I would agree with something that I think you put in the doc, which was um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like, I, I think that that is the closest, at least Western canonical text that we have that explores this idea of like, not only a transformation, but that unwilling transformation that like, there's something inside of you that just takes over at certain moments um, that you can't control and that that does things that are so contrary to ostensibly to your human nature. And you wake up next to like a dead deer in the woods naked. Yeah. And yeah. that well, not clarity hits you. That's also explored in like the invisible man where, you know, when they're when you kind of lose your humanity or there is no consequences, like what do you do? Um, and I think those were almost contemporary to each other, right? H.G. Wells and uh, Conan Doyle. Did Conan Doyle write Jekyll and Hyde? I don't know who did. Uh... I have no fucking clue. That's Sam. Call it a day. But that, uh, it's Robert Lewis. Definite... Mm. Oh, ah, the other one. Sorry. Ah, of course. Thank you for that description of Jekyll and Hyde, Sarah. That reminds me of something we talked about on the seminar of Ice and Fire with the uh, article you shared with us about like uh, that the monster allows for fantasies or in the monster fantasies of aggression, regression and domination are given sort of safe safe form or something like that and that's mm-hmm. kind of like in Jekyll and Hyde or in a lot of these werewolf stories those like violent urges and darker parts of ourselves are it's almost like a different person who's doing them and it's not you and you're sort of not guilty for doing those um, wicked things in a lot of these stories yeah yeah I think that's interesting and it's also I mean it's, the, the regression is interesting because it you know just to, to sort of think about like at some point that kind of berserk warrior impulse was something that was very valued by a community and, and, you know, in, in the polis in Greek or in, you know, just sort of like larger cities or like urbanizations or modernizations or whatever, like that berserk ability um, became very anathema to like quote unquote civilized society. Right. So like Mm -hmm. that there, there used to be a time where that was like really valuable. Um, So it's not only permitted, but it was like, 
encouraged to a certain extent and fun, yeah maybe it's like a, a throwback to that as well oh, fun linguistic facts of the day the word assassin and the word hash as in like reference to marijuana are related because people used to give people who would kill other people drugs to make them want to kill other people and be better assassins would you you say that they were a would you call them a hash assassin (laughs) well (laughs) yeah wasn't it like an order in uh in near the holy land or Somewhere yeah. around that yeah. area. I've Wait, was Assassin's hash like Creed. the original Bitcoin? It's like untraceable. Who's the original dragon egg? That's right. They can't they can't tax these drugs. I think it, my very limited understanding of it is that it was more a part of the ritual that was undertaken, um, similar to Soma in like um the Indic cultures where it was like a, or, or, you know, peyote or whatever. It was like a consciousness altering um, ritual in, and, you know, like uh, a component of that in preparation right? for, yeah, yeah, or like, you know, in preparation. Because killing, for, maybe it's harder to kill if you're not on something. Is yeah. Hush just yeah. cannabis or what is it? They'd essentially go on suicide missions. So it'd be the same thing as like uh, the kamikaze pilots uh, taking methamphetamine in their tea before they, right. they would just need but, um, to. Oh, that's really interesting. They just need to drop themselves to to go through it because they knew that that was that with that action yeah. from their death. Welding, welding the cockpit shut wasn't enough. Yeah, no, Peter Hash is. I think it's like a not tobacco, but it's like a similar thing, but in like pop, not pop culture, but like in modern like colloquialism, it's usually used to describe like the keef. Of hanab- cannabis, I think yep. is the word. Yeah. Yes. But it so hash is like some something. Oh, keef is like when you when you grind weed, there's like two things that come out, and like one of them is like really tiny dusty things, and it's the keef, which is like it's, the better. It's the dried out trichomes of the marijuana plant that. Yeah, and it gives you like a really really nice high compared. Is that to the, the bud? Um, I I'm not I. I'm not sure, really. Like, it just, they separate when you grind it. And so most grinders have, like, a, a little mesh thing to, like, collect the, the little tiny particles. Yep. And they're really good for edibles and uh, extracts. And, like, you can make yeah. them into, you press them, like, with a hair iron into hash. Welcome to uh, drug production. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so but what I like to do is... Is something that Breaking you can smoke bad itself. Um, I remember, like, it's something. It's not tobacco, but it's it's a similar like hash itself. When it's not being used to refer to marijuana, is a thing that can be smoked. I think it's only like a state of mind to be. I don't know. I was at a someone. barbecue once, and some guy pulled out some hash, and he had like this long pipe. It was like one of those like old fashioned pipey things, and he was like, "Yeah, this is hash," and I was like, "You mean weed?" And he was like, "No, it's hash. It's like." from the middle east or something so I don't to know. the interwebs yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah he was from like lebanon so i just was like you know what you know it better than me i'm not from there i don't know where what drugs you have <laughs> during the vietnam war the government routinely supplied obscene amounts of stimulants and other sort of like psychotropic and um uh, like psycho, psycho impactful yeah drugs to the to the soldiers like on a regular basis to get them in the 
quote unquote the right mindset, I guess, for combat. Gee, I wonder why America had also for mind control with drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was actually the origin of um, the public um, methadone clinic, like the 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 sort of like government sponsored management of um, heroin and uh, drug use. It comes from. Um, an anticipated problem with the um, soldiers returning from Vietnam. And in fact, like that never materialized, but that was what motivated the um, the implementation of that government network for drug addiction management was um, <laughs> getting ready for them to come home. Anyway, back to doggies. Donkeys, yeah, uh, <laughs> yes, please, please. What kind of drug should you take if you wanted to become a donkey? Oh, I meant doggies, like doggies. owls, oh. like cute wolves. Yeah, doggos, but puppers. Puppers, you know, the werewolves. In um, the early modern period, the answer to that would be uh, like antidepressants, probably. Like if you didn't want to be a werewolf, because they they believed that um, it was an excess of melancholy that caused lycanthropic delusions. Um, and there's a character in Webster's Duchess of Malfi who um, sort of has this very unstable temperament to begin with, but then like randomly halfway through the play, he becomes a lycanthrope and he um, goes insane basically. And he believes that he's a werewolf, but he says that his skin or his fur is growing on the inside of his skin, um, which is why you can't see it. But that was apparently like, a, you know, um, like Burton's Anatomy there- of Melancholy mentions it as a problem. Is that like mess? there are bugs inside my skin like <laughs> I, I mean it's probably similar yeah but that idea that like oh, an imbalance cool. of the humors um and particularly in an excess of um melancholy of black bile would um would trigger all manner of maladies including syphilis but um but lycanthropy was among those um i like the description of having fur on the inside of your skin that makes my skin yeah. crawl but I yeah. feel like it's kind of a yeah. Yeah, like in uh, like in the song of ice and fire, the Boltons would like flay the stalks to get the get the skin out, so they couldn't change their skin anymore. So that's a cool kind of gruesome image. Definitely. Why? I didn't ever make that connection between the flaying and the. Oh, I don't think it's explicitly mentioned, but I think that's the idea. Oh, because they oh, were skin. Okay, so you're you're claiming it's canon, but. <laughs> I think it's widely accepted. Okay, yeah, I'd never heard that before, but I mean, I, I believe it. I just didn't, didn't know that was a... Cite your sources, man. Somebody. I was saying, if anyone's seen The Company of Wolves, it's, I think, from, like, 89 or 88, and it's based off of a, a book, but it's got... It's a very Red Riding Hood slash werewolf movie, and there's a quote from it about how... Like kind of the grandmother character is telling the granddaughter, you know, that some men are hairy on the inside as kind of a warning. Oh, that's probably might be based on Angela Carter's. um, Yeah, it's Angela Carter's. I couldn't remember the authors. I've read the short story collection. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. But, yeah, just thought of that quote. Some men have hair on the inside. Mm Mm-hmm. All of those stories in Angela Carter's that short story collection. There's like Beauty and the Beast and Bluebeard and Puss in Boots and uh, Little Red Riding Hood and stuff like that in there. And it kind of like explores that idea of like 
um, the male-female male-female relationship through those old fairy tales and like the idea that the wolf wants to devour devour little red riding hood and like in the bluebeard and the beauty and the beast stories like how she sort of has to tame the beast in a way and i found it really interesting yeah i haven't read that um anthology in a long time but now i suddenly want to again yeah that's actually one of the ideas that i thought that werewolves might kind of have as sort of the werewolf story might explore the theme of like um men and women trying to live together as well like and women having to sort of negotiate that relationship with someone who's bigger or stronger and hairier than you and maybe sometimes prone to fits of rage as well and that's definitely present in the uh in the angela carter stories mm-hmm. there's like not always that there's not always like a sexual aspect to these kind of stories but there is like it does creep in at the edges uh, a lot of the time and like um I don't know if everyone's familiar with like the beast of Gévaudan, I think is how it's pronounced. It's the uh, killings that went on in France in the 17th century, I believe. Maybe it's eight, no, 18th century France, where um, there's this rural area of France that was just having people were just getting killed, like for long periods of time by some kind of animal or animals, and it was a very big deal, but um, there was this kind of theme in the reporting that the uh, creature was like mostly attacking like women and girls out working in the field. And so there was actually talks about, and when they're trying to hunt it about like basically like putting up like mannequins dressed like women to try and lure the beast in (laughs) because of its various hungers. Yeah. And you, you listen to that and you have to think like, huh, there's yeah yeah i feel like there's kind of an overlap there definitely and uh kind of like how sexual predators are sometimes referred to as predators and like this this idea that the uh sort of drives of violence and violence and uh lust i suppose are kind of interwoven in a way and in people that get very violent and um commit atrocities they will often not only murder but rape as well and i guess that's like uh something that's yeah sometimes part of these stories as well but yeah i don't know i prefer the more pg-13 ones i suppose in um you know sort of a a gross irony given what we know about him now louis ck has a whole um like routine about how dating is like so contrary to like survival and how you know women's greatest threat is men but like you're expected to just meet a random stranger <laughs> like <laughs> like all of these things that are that are you know sort of counterintuitive at best um like masturbate yeah, he's, in front of someone that doesn't want to see it yeah yeah he's hot garbage mm-hmm. now so you know i hesitate to but like i i thought that was a very um again like i said very ironic but also like very insightful and and well, he disturbing yeah okay <laughs> 
Well, as like someone who likes uh, true crime stuff a lot, you can see and you like a lot of like serial killers are listed as like predators or described as predators and have like somehow like this a predator instinct and that just makes them better killers and better hunters and you know whoever they're looking to kill um, men or women but uh i think you know i think there's there's probably a scale of that you know there's like um it kind of goes back to the animal inside everyone and you know if you repress it or not or let it come out but yeah like especially that idea of the lost murders and stuff like that. And I suppose that's some sort of an intriguing and kind of, um, kind of an alluring thing as well for a lot of people, like with the, like how popular true crime stuff is or shows like Dexter or Hannibal. And well, that's not necessarily the lost murder angle to it, but yeah, but people definitely do want to get sort of inside the mind of the serial killer or the predator and kind of like imagine what it would be like. And like, yeah. I think it's also an easy way just to dehumanize them and say that they are something different. um, And that's why they act the way they do. And kind of, again, denying and repressing that that urge or, you know, ability would be lie inside, you know, everyone. Um, But to call them a predator or call them an animal, you know, takes that human portion out of it. Oh yeah, true, like a monster and like, yeah, like a, I guess there's the old Latin phrase like homo homini lupus, that a man is wolf to man and mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, dehumanizing is a good way of describing it. As dehumanization is often done when as comparing the other to animals or likening them to animals. So that got a little heavy, I guess, but um, <laughs> I guess we could go into something, some a lighter topic. Um, so what's sort of variations of werewolf there are in these stories and fiction and culture that we have? And I suppose we could talk about like the different kinds of powers that they have or the different kinds of appearances and powers and weaknesses and such. Well, I prefer the darker stuff, so I'm going to leave you guys now. Um, have fun, though. Okay. <laughs> this has been a lot. Thanks for joining, Matt. You don't want you don't want to talk about alpha, beta, omega dynamics. Oh uh, no. <laughs> no. That's not how wolves work. No. Yes, I, I know. <laughs> All right, bye, guys. Um, also, I'd like to retroactively bye. retract what I said about no media, um, like historical media referencing uh, werewolves, because I completely forgot about the existence of Beauty and the Beast, which like is basically a man versus nature like thing. But yeah, so <laughs> I forgot that. Yeah, Beauty it's, and the Beast it's got exists. a lot of overlap, but it's not necessarily <laughs> exactly the same thing. It lacks the sort of um aspect that he only turns into a wolf when during the full moon or during some yeah. sort of thing so he's he's the beast all the time until the curse is broken yeah but so, i just forgot that that was a thing <laughs> it does have the curse aspect though yeah the idea that this is something that has been to, to become a the beast or the animal is something that has been done to you because of a transgression against society yeah. Also, oh, yeah, he's not really wolf-like, though, right? I mean, 
I don't well, think depending on the with... depiction, I guess the Disney one is has some aspects of a bear and a bull, I suppose. But yeah, there's different kinds of descriptions of the beast, <laughs> I guess. Listen, kind in the of French one, with he one of fly, your... okay? What? He fucking flies in the French one. <laughs> what? Really? Now, yeah, is the, end... is the hero he... Gaston in the French one? Um, I don't remember. It's been a very long time since I had to watch the belly the bit. But at the end, once he transforms back into a human, he and Belle fly away into the sunset. I am not kidding. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> what kind of beast was he? Magic. Peter, the Beauty and the Beast story also um, kind of addresses one of your earlier questions, which was like, what were some of the... Um, the actual physical conditions that might have inspired werewolfism and um we were sort of having a discussion in the chat about what the word was but it was hypertrichosis which is um that condition where hair basically grows all over a human's body um and the the origin for the original beauty and the beast was a person with hypertrichosis who was brought into the um court of the french king and um like educated and and you know sort of raised up as a nobleman as like almost like a novelty but he was like very very well cultured and like very very refined and he ended up actually marrying um uh, an upper class woman and like having children and stuff and so he was he was very very famous um and so he became, i can see yeah, like, with how that the idea of a beast in finery would spring from that yeah yeah, yeah. um and as a comment on like you know what what is refinement and like what is um you know what does it mean to be courtly and you know like <laughs> yeah like the, that intersect uncomfortable intersection of like civilization and and you know quote-unquote savagery although in his case it was purely um aesthetic and, and you know not, not yeah but that's definitely also that idea that people have of like that um beautiful people are good and ugly people are uh, people that look different like a man who had hair all over his face would look and that that's kind of a interesting idea to explore that if he acts more refined than a beautiful man like Gaston for example yeah, definitely also just hopping back for one second on the possible inspirations uh rabies As yeah in, it's a real disease that turns somebody who you know and your neighbor your family member into a you know visually kind of a drooling monster and it would have been symptoms those rabies even like did we like have any understanding of rabies for a long time like i mean people got it and they just died right i mean oh well it's just like he's possessed he's got devils in his blood i mean Pliny said you got it from menstrual blood so you know i'm gonna say no yeah. Is that where yeah, hair of the dog comes from? I think so. The idea that like if yeah, you got know. a tincture made out of literally the hair of the dog that bit you would cure your rabies? I feel like I that might be apocryphal, but No, we mentioned that on a not was it on Vampire Chat that we talked about that or was it the last creature? I think it was the last one. Yeah, it was a language but um So now there's a citation for that, so it was um Richard Chat, yeah, animal like, beef and phobia um, cast. You can, is, you can cite that. This is like a rabies aside, I guess. But, um, but I, think, I, I guess there's like I'll kind of a recent uh, treatment of rabies where they like intentionally put people in a coma and try to bring their temperature down. Um, like once they've gotten past the point of treatment, like so that they just you know it doesn't like ravage their brain and they die. 
but it's actually been successful with like a, it's not like a huge percentage but i think it's like 30 percent or something like that survive yeah but i think also part of, i can't i don't know if you guys talked about this or not because my boss called me in the middle of this call but um part of the history of werewolves i feel like goes back to like just I mean, I don't even know what you would classify it, but, like, you know, like, the word lunacy, you know, comes from people thought that, like, the full moon made you crazy, and so, like, a lot of people that were in, like, sanatoriums and, like, insane asylums, I'm sure they associated, like, dogs howl at the moon, I guess, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but it's a a popular thing, and so people were like, oh, the moon must make these people, these humans crazy, and so they might have come up with a, uh, a cross- I don't know what the word is, but like then like ah dogs howl at the moon or wolves howl at the moon and people go crazy on full moons. Are they turning into wolves? Question. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can. I was gonna bring up lunatics as well, and I'm glad you did because that's something that's definitely present in culture, and I feel like even people nowadays kind of believe that 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 the crazy people are out when it's the full moon, and like they at least half believe it. But I don't know. Isn't there it's... statistical evidence that like there there are spikes at emergency rooms and like like police calls and stuff on the night of a full moon? Like isn't that a isn't that a thing that actually happens? Yeah, that's what I was getting at, but I'm not sure. I can't cite any real sources on that. I think it might have to do with like I'm sure that there is some uh what is the word uh magnetic something that maybe like affects the way that our bodies behave or something but I'm sure it's like a very minor thing but like people in the 1800s didn't have science so you know they were probably like ah they're the wolves the wolves and the humans are the same you go crazy and you turn into a wolf Okay, so a 2011 study published by the National Institute of Health looked at more than 54,000 patients, no, sorry, 5,400 patients trying to find a connection between lunar cycle and psychiatric emergency room visits. Data revealed a small increase in the number of visits to psychiatric emergency rooms when a full moon was present. However, there was a stronger correlation in the larger number of cases of severe illness and aggressive behavior in the beginning and end of the moon cycles. Researchers theorized that the underlying cause could be attributed to changes in neural and endocrine cell fluids and functionality. Dun, dun, dun. Cool. Hmm. That's interesting. Like, I had heard the theory that just because it's, you know, it's brighter out, it's easier to get up to shenanigans at night, but that doesn't really mean much in the <laughs> modern world uh, yeah. when we have so much like light pollution and electricity. But it, it could be mentalities, yeah, people being like, oh, it's a full moon, man, you know, get drunk or whatever. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely the past, that, make, that would make sense, having, having the light at night. Get drunk and go climb up the hayloft, you know. Podcast on a full moon, but decided against it in the interest of <laughs> expediency. I wonder if too the, dangerous. Or yeah, I wonder if the origin of the word to moonlight kind of has something to do with this as well, with like the shape shifting. Like, oh, she moonlights as a drag queen yeah. or something, you know. Like on the, you know, I wonder if that's um, related at all, like the shape shifting and like not all. Oh, uh, the, the moonlighting you know, thing. I know. I've. I've heard what's the origin of that. Um, I, I thought it was just before. like working the night shift, right? Like, yeah, like 
smuggling yeah. in the moonlight. Like, like you're something during the day and then do the you do something else at night. But that's also like a werewolf is like some like I mean and not because I mean I don't know it's the original definition not the original definition but like in pop culture werewolves like they I don't know if it always was they can only turn into a werewolf at the full moon or because some there's some depictions it's they can kind of turn into a werewolf whenever they want some it's like they only turn out the full moon some it's like they're just heightened at the full moon so I'm like I'm wondering if there is a relationship between like you do one thing at during the day and then at night you are something else which would be very werewolf werewolfy <laughs> very lupin werewolf behind <laughs> so it's like that um man in the streets but a werewolf in the <laughs> in the sheep <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's getting back to our other topic. Oof. <laughs> yup. I'm I'm also thinking because um I think this game exists in English too. We call it Mafia when I was growing up, but like the game of Lugaru, which means werewolf in French, it's like where Among Us comes from. You know, it's like trying to figure out who the murderer is, and I'm wondering if that has some um relation as well with like who is hiding a secret and stuff. Like if the the idea of of werewolves is because I feel most depictions it's, it's a big secret like um with like a vampire you can't turn off being a vampire but like with werewolves it's like more of a I I want to be able to be a human but I have to hide this yeah especially if it's life. the once a month only on the full moon type yeah yeah and so I wonder if like I'm just thinking because of now I'm thinking of this, this French game um if this like werewolf association has to do with something with like being having a secret and stuff so like werewolves are kind of more associated with it's a shame a shameful thing where whereas you know yeah, well i suppose that could be like hiding a disease like ex- yeah. especially a sexually transmitted disease that's sometimes sometimes used in stories as well like i think in harry potter the werewolf who turns lupin into a werewolf is it fenrir greyback or something that's kind of like something of an age analogy i think like that he enjoys turning people into werewolves and kind of spreading his disease i guess yeah i thought he was kind of like a Fenrir. rape allegory i guess yeah <laughs> like sorry a, what was that like a rape or like a pedophilia thing like like fenrir grayback is kind of basically like he's yeah. a pedophile but yeah. yeah i think he prefers like child targets children. as well he werewolves oh them <laughs> because it's still Harry Potter so only on book three yeah yeah well I mean in the real world there were people that would have like sexually transmitted diseases that like tried to infect a bunch of people I mean there's been a couple cases of people with AIDS and various things um you know that that takes like a special kind of break in the mind but yeah if you if you were a werewolf and you're just like gotta make lots of werewolves I don't know um because he doesn't do anything with them in Harry Potter either. He just like turns people and it's like, ha, all right, I've turned you. Like, yeah, I think I got it. the idea from his, that he was kind of like that he considered it a gift instead of a curse. And he wanted to, I suppose, spread his gift and like make converts mm-hmm. or something like that. And that's, yeah, that's, that's happens like the, in, you know, uh, fertility doctor that like just replaced all of the, like, the the sperm with his own and like had a thousand babies. You know. Oh, I saw that on a very <laughs> special, like, yeah. episode, a special victims unit. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, I know there's at least one real case of that. I don't know if there are more, but uh, 
Yeah. There was definitely one guy. So like, does this go? These people started on realizing this, they were related. But does this go back then? Because I'm also this is I'm I'm sorry I have to bring up Teen Wolf, but this is something I noticed with Teen Wolf, and they're all men. Werewolves are usually all men. They don't bring in a female werewolf until like season four, and she's like a coyote, and stuff. So is it also something to do with like some hyper masculinity, spread my seed, <laughs> kind of thing? Like there are very few depictions right. of the werewolf being female a woman. Werewolves. So it is that's a very interesting, interesting. It's a power very interesting dynamic. Well, especially because, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, not to, not to like, drive away our, you know, misogynist audience or anything, but I, I mean, if we're talking about something that alters behavior and is tied to the cycles of the moon, like, there, there is a, an arguable correlation to, like, menstruation, right? So if it's, you know, this is, like, the masculine equivalent of, like, the stereotypical perception of the menstrual cycle like I don't know I don't I don't know that that's although um Ginger Snaps is a yes, horror yes. film that makes that explicit oh my gosh. literally just so, um which I is, love that, that was on tv so much back in the day <laughs> yeah for the babies in the book. audience can you explain please <laughs> yeah it's uh it's been like a million years but it's a female werewolf and it's it's tied into like her werewolfism is tied into allegories of like puberty basically right i mean am i miss am i misremembering but it's tied like very explicitly to her, mm-hmm. her menstrual cycle somehow and i can't i can't remember I'll, yeah I'll about it, uh if i remember correctly she still is like bitten by another werewolf but uh basically yeah it isn't afterwards like she starts getting kind of pun intended bitchy and like you know starts growing a tail and hair and is mean to her sister and is suddenly yeah, attracted to boys bad. and being, you know, kind of sexualized. Yeah, I think it probably they, I don't know if they do this with Teen Wolf, but the idea of like bodily transformation and puberty is probably an easy easy sort of um, connection to make with those things. But yeah. Well, that's... the actual Teen Wolf, that's like hundred percent what it is. This is basically just like Michael J. Fox going through puberty in a bunch of weird ways. But... No, I think that's MTV's interesting what you <laughs> go ahead, Abby. Oh, in MTV's Teen Wolf, they're like investigating a dead body in the forest and then this guy turns one of the kids into a werewolf and then he has to deal with being a werewolf and also a teenager at the same time. Ugh, high school werewolf. <laughs> yeah. But that's interesting what you said about menstruation and uh, that the idea that werewolves are almost always male. I mean, there are exceptions and it's not like a thing written in stone in any of these stories that women can't be werewolves, but the, the werewolf characters often are male. But then there's, there is a thing that's like an ancient thing almost in a lot of cultures where women are associated with the moon and uh, I suppose conversely, men are associated with the sun, but I guess that would have to do with the uh, monthly cycles as well, lunar cycles. Yeah, I'm trying to think like female werewolves in like fiction. It's like usually like the queen or um, like it's like significant when when the werewolf is a female. Usually it's like a plot twist or 
Um, I think wasn't there like a Red Riding Hood one where like the werewolf ended up being a female? I don't remember. Oh, but yeah, Honestly, that might have been like the Amanda Seyfried one. All I can think of is the Scooby Doo Ghoul School. I think oh, one of the one of the kids is a werewolf, is the daughter of like the Wolf Man or something. <laughs> and that's like all I got on female werewolves. Other than yeah, I can only think of a handful of like movies and that are like female werewolf based, and they all seem to have that theme of like coming of age, like coming into sexuality, puberty, like that, when, it seems like that that theme is tied in very deeply when fiction does go there, whereas with men, it does seem to be more about, like, the beast within, like, some, like, letting out something primal that's already inside you, or, you know, being infected with something dangerous that's going to turn you against the people around you. So men can't even let us have this. There is a a uh, woman werewolf in Skyrim. I think she's also the sort of principal werewolf character in that game, the oh, cool. Isla the Huntress. And she's uh, kind of a, a part of this guild of fighters, and she kind of is a diehard werewolf where the other guys in the guild want to cure, the, cure their uh, lycanthropy through this ritual. She wants to stay a werewolf and kind of like keep the old ways and uh, like the ways of the hunt and blood and bone and stuff like that. But she is definitely the exception rather than the rule. I do believe most of these examples are male, as are sort of other other um, characters of this same archetype, like the Incredible Hulk or Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, I suppose, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I suppose it might just have to do if right. about physical strength and stuff like that. It's not even when a woman gets very mad and enraged, they aren't as dangerous as a man who's enraged and flailing about scratching people, I guess. Yeah, but She-Hulk. Yeah, uh, She-Hulk does exist, that's true. She-Hulk is very different, but, though, because yeah. She-Hulk, when she transforms, she's kind of like, well, she's kind of sexy, and she maintains who she is. She doesn't, like, lose herself like Bruce Banner does, and, you know, it's definitely a different uh, a different take on it. Okay, question. This has kind of nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I just remembered this. So, oh wait, never mind, they're foxes. Never mind, okay, ignore me. Well, we can't now. Abby, <laughs> what does the fox say? Adam, Wolf. is it? Foxes make terrible right noises. <laughs> foxes sound like old dying women. Um... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, even, like, Underworld, where they had, like, a lot of werewolves, and, like, there were, I think there were, like, a few female werewolves in there, but, like, not very many. Yeah, whereas with vampires, I feel like um, there are a lot of right female vampire characters, but that's also the sort of sexiness of vampires comes into that as well, and yeah, it's kind of... I mean, Dracula basically makes a harem in most of his fiction, so... Yeah. Especially in the more modern interpretations of vampires. Yeah, not like um, 
Count Orlok or Nosferatu and stuff like that. Although I have seen some sort of. Well, but Landstroker's Dracula has a lot of sex. There's um, a terrible thing that's encroaching on Victorian society. And there's that. Yeah, and I guess when it comes to like succubus, incubus type material, there's a lot more like succubus material than there is incubus, right? Yeah, the titillation is definitely a factor with those monsters. But I guess then you get like, you get like hags and banshees and more like gross female monsters as well. So I don't know. Gerard of Wales yeah, I, I has. A, I forgot about this, but um, Gerard of Wales has a story where a priest um, is approached by a wolf who asks him to come and give last rites to his wolf wife, <laughs> um, and they are they're a werewolf couple who have been ostracized into the woods, and the wife is elderly and dying, and the priest has this uh, sort of crisis of conscience over whether he can give last rites to a wolf um and so the husband like basically unzips her wolf skin and like shows that she's an old woman and then like zips her back into his one he's like okay i guess and he so he he performs last rites on this wolf woman but i had i had forgotten about that um example oh that's cool but yeah i just i feel a lot of uh, supernatural creatures that are usually um, associated with women, their supernatural ability comes from something to do with their inherent femininity, whereas with um, most other supernatural creatures that are mostly associated with men, it's not something to do with their like masculinity. It's like, oh, this is just a thing that people deal with. So. Yeah, like if you have a troll or a troll or an ogre, they're usually men, but it's just like they're big and stupid and kind of yeah it doesn't have any like with a banshee or a, like a succubus you know it's something to do with like their inherent like actually i don't know much about banshees but like are they like the like a uh, woman who's died of grief or a widow or something like that or a woman scorned who can't sort of haunting the graveyard and can't let go and has unfinished business yeah like a lot that? of the they're, they're like death portents the banshees there's one in teen wolf aren't they <laughs> Yeah, yeah. A lot of them are a lot of those um the child killing demons and like the death spirits and stuff that are women are um yeah, like La Llorona or um the Lamia or the like that we talked about them on the vampire cast too, but like the that kill babies often because they have suffered like a, a you know a girl tragedy and like <laughs> they're yeah, like abandoned by a lover or their you know, their babies have died or you know. I will but say they're not. In, as, um... Oh no, go ahead. So that they're not like uh, the ghosts of women who've killed their own babies that they just go after babies. Who are children? It's often both. Yeah, I guess that could be like a morality tale of like this is the, this is the most awful thing you can do and you will be eternally cursed if you do it and become a monster. That kind of story, I guess. Yeah, I will say though, in um, I don't even I don't know if you would call it what the word is like Jewish mythology, like Kabbalah or whatever. Like, there's the Dybbuk, which is like a soul of a dead person, and um, it's genderless, like it doesn't 
matter you know there's no like specific type specific gender that it is like more associated with but like I would say the most famous depiction of it is um or with a woman like because the play the Dybbuk I forget who wrote that play but um there's some uh feminism you know when the supernatural being doesn't have anything to do with the gender there you go <laughs> Peter I just found a list of female werewolves that I think we should post in the in the show notes because there's some pretty dope ones in here but um, okay. my favorite so far is uh it looks like a French or Germany um, in 1591, was attacked by female werewolves, dubbed the She-Wolves of Ulick. Uh 300 women shapeshifted into wolves and terrorized the local area. <laughs> sure. Yeah, they captured 85 yeah. oh, of them. Wolfwalkers, that was last year, right? Those, those were female werewolves. Kind of. Well, they turned into wolves. Yeah. It was, it was animated, but... Uh, I've not seen that. Oh, I want to. So it was, pretty, the animation it was, it was, it was so really beautiful. good. Um, it's Irish. Yeah, I mean, if you've seen like Song of the Sea or like uh, what is it, you know, uh, Secret of Kells, it's like the same, Ooh. same, uh, same people. So it's very good. But I'm also trying to think. Um, did anyone read? Didn't George Martin do like a werewolf short story? What was that called? Skin um, trade. I haven't, I haven't read any of other. other other stuff George has written except mm-hmm. Duncan Egg and yeah, we, and uh, Song of Ice and Fire. Where's someone who's read <laughs> who's read that? We could like pull that in. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I'm just aware of it. I haven't read it, so thank you. You're aware? Yeah, it's called the Skin Trade. Yeah, <laughs> I have to look it up. Sorry, that was bad. No, it was no, excellent. That is good, right? Oh, I did <laughs> uh, What about tails? Should werewolves have tails? Yeah, like outside of being a when they're a human, do you mean? Because like if they're in the wolf form, they're a wolf. Wolves have tails. But... Well, but the, I mean, well, usually the always, usually the like, I feel like the werewolf form is kind of like the man wolf or like the sort um, of humanoid creature with yeah. a wolf's head and big claws and might be able to run on all fours, but like kind of a hybrid like. Oh, yes, in a lot of stories, they can turn into... Some of them have a tail, some of them don't. Like, the ones that literally turn into, like, four-legged wolves or, like, they look like dire wolves or something, obviously do, but a lot of the, like, upright human hybrid type of ones, they just don't put a tail in, maybe because it's... Especially in film, it's just easier to not do that. Aren't tails meant for, like, balance or something? So, like, a two-footed bipedal werewolf does not need a tail. But wouldn't they need the tail more because they're bipedal? But the do humans have tails? I'm okay without a tail. tail. Yeah. I would I fucking love a tail. <laughs> Are you? Wait, you you guys don't have tails? Oh man. <laughs> I'd like to have oh. hooves as well. I don't like <laughs> toes. Toes are kind of useless. Yeah, I, right. I'm on team tail. I like a tail. Team tail. It'd have to be prehensile for it to be worth the trouble, though. I think. <laughs> I like, mean, I'm sorry, that's right. Like nightcrawler or something. Yeah. And, like those people fucking have those like clip-on furry tail things. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's I do. Like a yes. No, no, no. That's all I can think of when you're like, oh, should they have tails? And I'm like, no, please no. Well, like <laughs> like a that's real ridiculous. proper tail, not like one of those pretend tails. Back to we would like to apologize to all two of our furry listeners. We don't mean anything by this. 
<laughs> so I feel like tails are among the um, and and cloven feet as well. Like I feel like there are with these shape shifting, um, like creatures, not necessarily werewolves that that start out as humans, like we were talking about before, but um, the the selkies or the um, the ones that kind of take human form. Sometimes I feel like there's always a a tell, like it's a telltale sign. A, t- a telltale. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like whether it's, you know, a cloven hoof or a, um, there are spirits that have like a hole in their back, I think. I don't know if it's like Germanic folklore or Irish, I can't remember, but like there are, there are like um, sylvan spirits that have like just a gaping hole in their back and that's like the giveaway. Um, I'll see if I can find them. They're really, they were very disturbing. But, um, but yeah, so I feel like the tail is one of those things where it's just like, not quite right and then conversely i think in the middle ages when demons would take the form of animals there was always something like not quite right about the animal either like either it was missing a tail or um it was like the wrong color or it was like the wrong size <laughs> or something like that where the, like uh, what we do in the shadows movie where one of the vampires is, but he can never get the faces right anymore and he just turns into a cat to, to test like a man's face <laughs> then they show like all this all this um like medieval pictures of manticores and stuff that are just animals with a man's face <laughs> like oh, he inspired all those inspired all those depictions so but yeah that's interesting that it's like a telltale sign yeah in finnish we have this um saying kainalossa, which means to have a fox's tail in your armpit which kind of means you're up to no good kind of like that what? you're hiding something like that. So specific. That is really specific. Yeah. Oh, very, like, now I see that fox's tail. I see it coming out of your shirt sleeve. Well, I, I think like it probably has to do with the idea that foxes are like these trickster characters in folk tales, often that in like a slide. And then you're hiding it through. in your armpit. Is that like you're hiding your sneakiness? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the armpit's an interesting, I guess, because the armpits are usually covered. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. What 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 about were foxes? We keep bringing up foxes. Are there are, are there any like were foxes in uh, in uh, well, well, I think kitsune are actually like spirits or something. Like fox but demons. I, yeah, mm-hmm. so they're like something more where they're not human, but they can take the appearance of a human. But I think that there has been like in de- popular like in modern media and stuff like depict like like I said within Teen Wolf, like she can turn into a fox. I mean, whatever, but it's like she's not a spirit. But I think oh my God, original... is it because she's a total fox? Is that why? I don't know. Oh, but I, I think the original, the original depiction of like Kitsune in Japanese mythology is they're like a spirit. But I think now it's accepted that like also it can mean someone who can transform into a fox. Yeah, I feel like wolves and foxes are really popular fursonas. Like, they're kind of like furries will want to be a cool animal, like a wolf or a fox. There aren't a lot of like naked mole rat furries or something like that. Now that you've said that, you just spawned furry. one. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get emails. <laughs> they're like um, from the naked mole rat furry. My, from my naked ro- naked mole rat cosplay group. Like, oh no. <laughs> We're so sorry. I didn't know. It's like naked mole rats and sphinx cats, right? <laughs> like... 
Hey, the I had a hand the better. Once, they're shunned cute. by the rest of the furry community because they're like, there's no fur. <laughs> no fur. We, all of my other rats used to pile on Ninky to keep her warm. It was very cute. Was Minky bold? Aww. No, Nakey. Her name was Nakey. Nakey. She was naked. Because <laughs> no, she was clever. naked. It's <laughs> mm. cute. So there's some honor among rats. They love to cuddle. They're so cute. Um, no, I'm trying, to think of, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like other animal shape-shifting things that are like in the same realm as werewolves. I think but I've I read like... somewhere that um, in India there's were tigers that kind of like fulfill the same role in folklore as werewolves. And yeah, I think I in that... Africa there's like um, skinwalkers or night runners yeah. that turn yeah. into leopards. And... Yeah, because I'd say like a kitsune is different than a werewolf because the the intent, like with werewolves, like we were talking about, you know, it's like a containing the beast thing. And that's not something you would get with like most depictions of someone who can transform into a fox i feel like um i feel like they're most people most depictions of like a shape-shifting fox is like the fox is able to maintain their humanity whereas with werewolves it's a lot more barbaric bestial i don't know what the word is but yeah like, they're defined by their savagery and their kind of hunger yeah. and uh, aggression get- while foxes are kind of like the clever sneaky types that will like cheat you out of a deal or you know, like steal yeah. your wife or something like that <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> I guess my question is hide like, your wife. there hide your kids and hide your wife there is definitely swiper um, no swiping there's definitely other depictions of people turning into um, in you know mythology of various cultures, different animals, or even maybe like human hybrids of the animals, similar to what like our kind of werewolf mythology is. But like the werewolf thing seems to be fairly prevalent, and at least for us in in modern society, like it's probably the most popular of the you know um, skin changing type tropes. So why is that? Like, is it just because it, it took off at the right time with you know certain old fictional stories or I mean, I guess like wolves and dogs kind of exist everywhere, so that sort of helps. But um, yeah, I how come nothing part, else is part of popular? It has to, yeah, I part of it I feel has to do with the popularity of dogs. Like, like we humans, you know, historically, you know, wolves and I actually I don't know if we like whatever. Whenever we domesticated dogs, you know, whatever. Like the dog, they're so vital to human society that that it's like makes sense that we would want to focus on. Um, right. animal that it's, is so commonplace. It's turning the familiar into something kind of scary. Yeah. And then yeah. also part of that comes from a, the distinction between a dog and a wolf is like wolves are feral and seen as dangerous and um, unruly whereas and so if a human could turn into a dog it would be like oh the dog is you know whatever a, a good boy and Wasn't there... whereas with oh sorry what? No I was just going right. to say there's Sam Merlot is like a he's a shapeshifter but like his go-to shape is like a fucking golden retriever and you're just like like really out of all the animals that you could who he's super cute who is this Sam Merlot on True Blood oh okay I don't well, there's yeah, like an episode of Teen oh, yeah, Titans I... <laughs> where he turns into a golden retriever and gets kidnapped by an alien because he thinks he's like his alien golden retriever 
Oh yeah, no, I, I remember that character from True Blood. Right back. But yeah, I think it's something to do with wolves are like this unknown entity, not unknown entity, but they're, they're, I, I hate this, like they're the more like, they're feral, you know, they're the feral version of something that we're familiar with. So if a human, we don't really have feral humans. Yeah. Like and I mean, I, I would think for us, it's like, you know, like a were tiger or a, a lion or like, there are like big kind of scary animals, even like bulls or things that, you know, like the minotaur. Um, yeah. But like they're not common. Those kind of animals aren't common to everyone. Like everyone's got dogs. Everyone's got wolves yeah. around. Yeah, and the other true. stuff that is common, like birds and rats. And, I mean, like you know, even like uh, mountain lions aren't common everywhere. So yeah, I guess like, it makes more sense. Yeah, and it's like we have the same, you know, like raised by wolves and stuff. You know, this association that like if a human is spending a lot of time um, with wolves or something, they'll become detached from their humanity. They'll be more. And they'll be like Tarzan, but not actually being able to be civilized at any point. Like, yeah, just some, I mean, some, yeah. I mean, there are some historical accounts. I don't know when this was, but a couple hundred years ago, like in France, they found some wolf children. They called them that were like feral, and I yeah. don't know if they actually were adopted I, by a mama wolf because I know that some animals do that. That they will sort of nurse um animals or look after animals of other species but yeah well that's yeah, another common trope too oh sorry no sorry you were you're talking oh i was just saying a lot of instances with feral children though it's like they're still they're they're most of them are fake first of all um um and then a lot of them is like the the kids are will most like it's very rare because they will eventually be killed most likely or like die of exposure and things and so like those the kids that are recovered from like these feral children um stories are quite young still usually like eight or whatever whereas you get these cases of like horrific abuse and stuff and those those children who might have been like you know living in isolation um for like you know like tens of years and stuff they have a hard you're locked in a basement or something like that yeah that kind of thing is like a much harder time with um adapting to back into human society but there's usually little instances of like an animal actually there is one one story of a, a girl who was horrifically abused and she like she had a bird that lived in the room with her and she like would like squawk like a bird or something but i don't i don't think there's much yeah, I no, that's interesting to think yeah. about, like how much of being a human is kind of software instead of hardware, like yeah. sort of culturally yeah. transmitted, and uh, you need other humans around to make a full human, I suppose. Yeah, like. But it, sorry, what were you why saying? is that? Like that, like the whole like raised by wolves thing. I know we've got that in several cases now, but like even you look at. Um, stories where someone kind of grew up, you know, feral grew up, it's almost always wolves or some sort of like dog pack creature, right? Like, I mean, like Mowgli in um, the well, Jungle Book. Well, another animal would turn the kid out, like, it's, it's you know. Or eat it. Like, yeah, or eat it. Well, then a wolf yeah. would eat it too, you would think. Um, so, like, for some reason, we, we believe the wolves, the wolves are scary and they're werewolves and they're dangerous, but then we also believe them most likely to raise our young. But I've kind of I mean, I've seen that like um in some zoos they will like give some animals that are lonely they'll give them like dogs to be their friend like cheetahs yeah. and stuff. But they do that's... that um 
They do that at the San Diego oh Zoo for the ambassador animals because the dog actually like um, models uh, friendliness with humans so that the cheetah cub sees the dog perceiving humans as non-threatening and like mimics that behavior. So they're less nervous around people because it, it essentially overrides their instinctive fear of humans because they see their friend the dog being like no these guys are cool and he's like okay didn't that gorilla or i don't know if it was a gorilla the i forgot what her name was but she she could she knew sign language and she was very famous and whatever Coco. didn't she have a pet dog okay Coco had a kitten. i think so oh a kitten she had a kitten okay. Coco had a kitten. Uh, okay. i was but, like a, um, i was like a load star for my childhood with coco and her kitten oh <laughs> 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 But um, I don't know. I, I okay. I could be talking. I'm talking about my my butt. But um, I feel like I was listening to a nature podcast once, and they were talking about um, wolves and like the perception that humans or like that um American society and I guess most of Western society or anywhere that has wolves like view them as these like dangerous creatures. But really, they're because like wolves are very um they're not endangered, but they're um in North America they threatened. Yeah, they're threatened. Yeah. Um because and part of it I think is because they haven't been able to have this like rehabilitated image of like not being dangerous and stuff but I don't think they're actually that dangerous in terms of like unless they're they're very useful for the ecosystem yes that too yeah they're very useful Um, but I guess like if they were hunted I know like a long time ago they they put contracts out on wolves like in frontier yeah Yeah. but I think part I think part of the reason they were is because they have this reputation of being dangerous but I don't think they're actually dangerous unless they're like being their food is threatened you know something like normal with most animals you know is like it will attack you if it's hungry or you've taken its food or you are threatening it and so I, I don't know if the reputation wolves have for being like these because da- going back to Adam's question is like why are wolves depicted as the ones that will like raise our feral children I don't know if they're actually that dangerous like violent intrinsically I guess. Well, I don't I mean, think they, they, I don't think they I are. Mean, I, don't, I don't know what, like, so, but for, like, if you're out in the forest and you see a wolf or you see, like, a cute and cuddly little brown bear, which one are you more, like, I gotta get the fuck out of here over? The bear. The bear, obviously, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, mama bear. Oh, yeah, mama bear it's a cute, cuddly-looking bear. No, man, mama bear. Where there's one wolf, wolf you all there's more. That's, that's right. <laughs> Wolves are like velociraptors. Yeah. Both like will a, avoid, like a super... avoid a human if they smell you or see you, so that's we're usually pretty safe. But I suppose, like, in a lot of these stories, and I think it probably has some truth to it, that it's when the wolves are hungry in times of starvation and hunger, and, and they will come in packs and try to, like, uh, take your sheep and stuff like that, and maybe, like, a dog of the yard as well, that, that happens in rural areas. A lot that pets will get eaten and people are afraid for the small children obviously with good reason because i don't know why would a, why would a wolf like consider a small child any like more taboo than a dog or something like that so yeah they probably do avoid like full-grown humans but i think they probably would eat a baby yeah, I was listening to something a while ago that I'm with a, I'm pretty sure they're specifically a wolf biologist talking about a lot of the kind of dissonance between like 
modern wolves and the modern view of wolves versus the view of wolves in the past, especially in specifically in North America, is because of basically what we did to the wolf populations starting in like the 19th century into the 20th century of like drastically reducing the population and like just putting out bounties and generally, you know, that like they, that their, that North American wolves behavior has changed over the past uh, couple centuries because of hunting. So it was I like, saying it was that the um, cattle ranchers, wasn't it? Like, wasn't it just like a concerted campaign by the cattle ranchers to like? I think or agriculture, yeah, concerns in general. Um, it's that, something that's resurging now, and it's my impression of it, at least, is that it's much more of like a machismo thing yeah. at this point, where it's like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna hunt and kill me. Like, ooh, these days like, definitely. The, like the helicopter. Well, are there are there some places that are offering bounties on wolves and stuff still, or no? Yes, illegally. Like they're they have quotas and they've been aggressively exceeding the quotas in areas where wolves are protected. Um, it, it's a whole big. I don't really want to. I wonder have they been, I wonder if they've benefited from the pandemic. Like a lot of animals. Like I saw a, a what was the thing on? I think it was like a nature thing on um, uh, Apple TV or something. But like. They talked about several different animals, like like the penguins in um, Southern Africa, uh, like or maybe South America. I can't remember, but like they they said, oh well, we thought that they were sort of coexisting with everybody for a long time, but then like in this last year, they basically bred double without humans being on the beaches, you know. So like we're kind of we've seen a lot of stuff like, oh well, if humans kind of don't come around, some of these people like what's it, what's it looking like? So I wonder if like you know certain wolf populations or something have benefited from that. Yeah, they might have. I mean, I think that people probably have been going into nature more with the pandemic. Like I've heard that in national parks, there's been a lot of traffic that people are spending more time in nature. So, but um, yeah, I guess like uh, some sort of traffic that would keep wolves away might have lessened in a way that might have like um, allowed them to expand into other areas. I guess that's the flip side of it, because places like Yellowstone and, you know, like these like big preserves have seen like a huge increase in people. and They've been trying to limit the numbers because people haven't had other places to go. So maybe it's not been great. Yeah, we've been having problems with coyotes uh, around where I live because just people have been so much more spending so much more time like deep in the parks and in the wilderness. So similar of the encroaching on habitat issue of you're just going to encounter animals more and they won't always be happy encounters for anyone involved. So yeah, the coyotes the being driven into like more habitable areas because people have been going into the parks more? I think it's more that they've just been, they've been there and people are just, there's more people more of the time going deeper, kind of like deeper into the parks. Well, I don't know if we necessarily the territory kind of had a boom in population necessarily. Yeah, they're coyotes. The thing with coyotes though is they're they're an invasive species, um, and they also like 
reproduce really fast and um can live anywhere <laughs> they can live behind the denny's they don't care they yeah they they can live yeah anywhere. i don't know the difference between a coyote and a wolf i guess like um, really? Aesthetics, like, no, mostly. No, no, I mean, I kind of know how they look, and I know that they're like a different species and all that. But I don't really understand, like, practically what makes them like, like as far as like climate or ability or because they're very well, coyotes similar, right? can live anywhere. Like, there's a problem because they're making their way to like this part in South America, um, and if they get past. Um, I forget where it's what it's called, but it's like the narrowest point, you know. There's a big uh, forest there, mm-hmm. and if they like can get past there, then could they they basically will like fuck the entire region. Because they, they, <laughs> Is this they like the reverse them. killer bees? Like every <laughs> year, the killer bees were coming up from South America, and they'd always like die in Central America, yeah, and be like, yeah, oh, never mind. Cause, cause Is that true though that coyotes can live anywhere? Because I don't really see them in sort of colder climates in any sort of reporting or um, nature yeah. documentaries I suppose I feel like they're kind of I a think, warmer I mean, I desert think, animal yeah. maybe but I don't yeah. think they live in like none of it but I think yeah. like they're pretty adaptable they can, yeah they like I think we have coy- there's coyotes in Montreal so you know they can oh, yeah, okay. live in oh, I didn't know that. our winter huh. I yeah, mean, I hear I'm, that they I'm, eat a lot of rats, so they're kind of useful. But I guess they're uh, kind of yeah. I mean, they're viewed more as like a scavenger than a wolf would be. Yeah, even though yeah. wolf like scavenge. But they are dangerous to pets, at least. Yeah. So I guess yeah, they, they would are. be dangerous yeah. to they, small kids as well. They use um, Peter. I think I was another creature chat where we talked about um, I forget what you called it, but like the false signals, like we were talking mm. about the snakes that do, and like. Um, the coyotes will use they'll send like one of their pack members out to engage with a domesticated dog and they'll actually do the play bow gesture and like invite the dog to play chase or whatever and then they'll they'll run them back to the pack and then like surround which i just think is so sad <laughs> That's but so they use they like mimic yeah. Their, yeah there's the cases of them like eating kids like not eating kids but like killing young children really <laughs> they, they're really not afraid of people in most areas yeah. we had one in our backyard yeah you're supposed to if you see them even if they're not doing anything you're supposed to scare them away because um they, they will they will learn that like oh this isn't a threat so like even if the coyote is just minding its own business walking down the street like you're supposed to make yourself really big and like yell at it or something to make it um be afraid so that it won't come too. back yeah like an unappealing yeah, it's interesting we had one we had one walking along our back wall and my brain had like this major misfire as I was looking at it. So I was like watching it and I was like, wow, a puppy. And then I was like, wow, that puppy is really skinny and it's kind of walking funny. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Oh no. You know? And like, by that time it was already gone. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a good example of that sort of liminality that Kit mentioned earlier with wolves, I suppose like that. It's kind of the dog silhouette you see, but then you see like, oh, there's something wrong with that. Yeah, it was. It was like a, it was like such a like does not compute, but like it took so long for me to process like what I was actually looking at because I was so excited to see a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have a dogs? I do. Yeah, I yeah, you know. It doesn't I'm still matter. excited to see one. Yeah, I am still very excited to see a dog. I, clearly, I wouldn't last ten minutes in the in the high desert wilderness. But... Cool, cool. But maybe that's enough enough about coyotes for now. But. Um... We've been going for almost two hours, 
So I suppose uh, last section we could go over is like talking about our favorite werewolf stories and werewolf depictions. And if you want to uh, recommend something to others or just talk about a werewolf story that you like. I already talked about Angela Carter's um, Company of Wolves and uh, the Bloody Chamber and other stories. That's a really interesting collection of short stories with the beauty and the beast dynamic. And yeah, it's got a lot of good wolf stuff in there. So I would recommend that. I'd like my dog soldiers. It's a Scottish werewolf film where uh, there's a group of werewolves attacking SNS soldiers. They speak about it more in the Scottish film about table, which we Cool, I've heard recommendations of that of that um, movie quite a few times. So Dog soldiers. Oh, dog soldiers. Okay, cool. Yeah, I thought this and have some uh, game of it. So, what kind of werewolves are in dog soldiers? Um, pretty much uh, a mixture between man and wolf. The effects are really good. It's quite hard to explain, but they've got really long arms. Oh, I like that kind of like kind of a kind of a ghoulish look to them almost like I guess some of them these sort of man wolf type uh, werewolves look more like apes than wolves in a lot of times, but I do like that as well. But is it the the uh, sort of world in dog soldiers? Is it the world where werewolves are a known thing that they're part of the military or is it like a kind of a urban fantasy where it's a hidden thing like it often is in in sort of supernatural modern stories. It's supernatural and like completely unknown and like it takes them completely by surprise. They run into a zoologist who knows about them and can tell you about them and tell them about them. Oh, okay, so it's like it's our world but there's this hidden thing instead of like being a world where werewolves exist. Cool, that's also kind of the idea that with the name dog soldiers, I guess this is more about dogs than wolves, but we also have these expressions of the dogs of war and let's slip the hounds of war and like, I suppose that's kind of uh, sometimes seen as a sort of acceptable situation to let your wolfishness be expressed in war, like like uh, just laying waste to people's cities or your enemy's cities and just killing and murdering and stuff like that. As I have a bunch of favorites because your girl likes werewolves. Um, Company of Wolves, I, you know, if it has a similar energy to a movie like Labyrinth, if you kind of enjoy that storytelling style, it's uh, involves a character being told a series of inter semi-interconnected short stories about wolves and werewolves, and it's not a very good sales pitch, but it's a good movie. Uh, Guilty Pleasure, Ginger Snaps, love it. They're just a lot of fun. I like the fact that they made three movies, and the third movie is the exact plot of the first movie. They just set it in a different century. 
You know what? Like, just, yeah, go for it. How long a time was there between the first and the third movie? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Was it a soft Less than 10 years? No, yeah, I would say it was the same cast and everything. Playing essentially the same characters. They're just like, these are identical ancestors, maybe. Or it's an alternate universe, maybe. Well, they didn't really cool. explain it. They just did it, which I greatly enjoy because why not? <laughs> Admirable. Yeah, exactly. It's like, this ballsy. Just, okay, fine. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, There's and... a quote I like that's uh, that every story has already been written. All we can do is break it apart and play with the pieces. Yeah. So there's They're just a lot of fun. They're pretty campy. In um, literature, I really like, as there's a short story you know, by Algernon Blackwood, who did several kind of werewolfy uh, That's a fucking stories. cool name. Right? Doesn't he sound like a <laughs> horror writer? Uh, but he did a, he writes these fantastic um, descriptions and like sense of the wilderness and writes about the wilderness a lot. And there's a, a story of his called Camp of the Dog that's explicitly about a werewolf that's like stalking one of the characters so it's like the writing's a little old-fashioned but it's really enjoyable uh, if you kind of want that classic spooky he also has a wendigo story doesn't he yeah yeah he wrote the willows and the wendigo and a few others and i don't know if anyone here reads dresden files but they're a like urban fantasy noir series and in the very second book, the author essentially took like every version of a werewolf from folklore and just said, they all exist. They're just different kinds of werewolves and they're all in this book. So no, if you want to have your 47 flavors, 47 flavors of werewolves. I know we had a few people on the forums that were really into those books. I have not personally read them. The Dresden Files? Yeah. Highly recommend the audiobooks. They're read by James Mersters. Oh, interesting. Let's see. What are we? Let's see. What have we not covered? Um, like we mentioned, I mentioned Underworld a couple times. I think the like the first movie in that series was pretty good. After that, you know, whatever. Oh yeah, that was that was uh, really good. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think oh, of more conventional. Probably. Uh, Zelda Twilight Princess it actually kind of features an interesting take on the whole, like, you know, Link turns into a wolf, which is a lot of fun. Uh, like, the Witcher games have some, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the books have some kind of fun werewolf depictions. Um, oh, yeah, the uh, sh- werewolves, in, the models in Witcher, at least, look very cool. I really yeah. like the visual look of them. The, some of those side quests are a lot of fun, like the little the story behind them and whatnot, and kind of a little more gritty, what you would imagine, like, werewolf in a small village or something um there was a show on netflix called the order which was like about like these like werewolves at like a college it was very like kind of like you know like teen oriented sort of thing but the difference there is there was like a secret order of like sorcerers at this college but the werewolves in that were um like magic eaters basically like they came around to kind of prevent the sorcerers from getting too out of control sort of um, which was kind of an interesting take the way they did it, but then I think that was canceled after a couple seasons. So, um, but it was something different. I would hesitantly 
with the knowledge that I have not watched it since I was like 16, the first three seasons of Teen Wolf, they're actually quite good. Um, uh, how many <laughs> seasons are there? I think there's six, but I never okay, watched well, it. But the first three seasons were actually really good. Um, they cover like a bunch of. It's like a very nice like primer for like supernatural things because like they they go through into a lot of different types of um supernatural creatures. I would sort say of season two. Of the week. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Like, what yeah. what does it feature besides werewolves? Um, oh, I fucking forget what they're called. Uh, like, Kitsuna. We've she heard. doesn't show up till yeah. yeah she doesn't show up till season four though. But um, there's like season two is like this guy ends up being like cursed to turn into this like I forget what it's called. It's like a lizard thing and it's like whatever but season three one of them has becomes like possessed by it's called a nagasune which is like another yokai i think um and so there's just like a lot of different supernatural creatures that end up showing up and so it's like that's kind of where i've like kind of dipped my feet into the supernatural sort of fantasy things like that's how i kind are of there vampires in that i don't think so i don't think vampires ever show up like the main the main oh, plot odd. is there's their main plot is um he gets turned into a werewolf by this like um werewolf pack leader guy basically um and it's like kind of a mystery as to like what happened to these people and he's also ends up dating a girl who her family are werewolf hunters so it's like a the whole plot is basically of like, course oh you know, like, sweet irony yeah, yeah but, um, it is it is it is can love the boom on a battlefield um there's a banshee and stuff you know there's there's like a lot of different um. It's very campy, you know, it's for teens, like, whatever. But it, it's fun. It's a fun time. Um, I'd say the first three seasons are very good. And then the one of the char- main characters leaves the show, and they kind of were like, well, what do we do now? <laughs> well, speaking of Supernatural, obviously there's, like, 50 seasons of the show Supernatural, which features a lot of werewolves. So um, probably the first five seasons of that show were good. I would say also, um, actually, no, I don't know. I, like, I don't watch or read anything that, like, werewolves are the prime focus i guess like except for teen wolf is like all i can think of as a thing i've ever consumed where it's like the main thing is werewolves but like sometimes werewolves show up in other things is more what i yeah they do crop up a lot in fantasy and sort of modern fantasy and urban fantasy and like uh, rpgs and stuff like that like they there's a cool side plot or main quest in Main quest in Dragon Age Origins, which ha- which has werewolves, and it's more of a like a fairy forest kind of deal where this like Briad oh, has yeah. been. Yeah, it's a a good, cool depiction of werewolves as well. But yeah, I guess they're not like a main carry in a way that vampires are. That like uh, in that movie Van Helsing, like I think you had all different kinds of monsters in that with um, Hugh Jackman. From the 2000s, like there was Dracula and the werewolf, and I guess they kind of get like grouped up a lot in these classic sort of movie monsters, like Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, and werewolf, like that. They're all in that same sort of horror genre. But yeah, yeah oftentimes, like it, it's just like that. It's like you've got some of these monsters that are kind of specific, or like a character in the movie, and then werewolf shows up. Like, or maybe multiple werewolves, and they're just sort of kind of like a, an aside or a action sequence or something, like, not, like, the main focus. I will say, if you've never, for some reason in your life, seen the Scooby-Doo Zombie Island movie <gasps> from, like, early 2000s, they're not werewolves, they're, like, cats or something, but that is a pretty 
crime werewolf movie. <laughs> what is happening? We're talking about werewolves. That's what's we're happening. We're talking about Scooby-Doo. Um, I feel that I would be remiss if I did not mention Oz in Buffy, um, oh. who is one of my very favorite werewolves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's my shout out for Buffy to counter the teen wolf. The teen um, wolf heresy. To counter the teen wolf heresy, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. yeah, that's I, a good one. Yeah. Um, and then I will kick it very old school. Oh, it's if I, from Buffy. I'm not familiar with this character. He's, um, he's uh, Seth oh, Green. Seth Green, yeah, is Willow's boyfriend. And he, he ends up he becomes a werewolf and then like once a month he has to lock himself up and but he yeah. still travels with his band and locks himself up in his van. It's all very nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's he he is a werewolf when they meet him, isn't he? Like he doesn't does he get turned on the show or no? I thought he got turned in the first season. I I you know, it's been a while, but I thought like that was one of the early episodes. Oh, I think I, I think does it I think I think that might be like season two or three. All I remember is that he gets turned by his little, like, toddler cousin. Oh, yeah. There's a, thro- a throwaway line about how he was visiting his little cousin and he he got bit. Oh, my God. I did oh, not yeah, remember, I remember that, that. That's the, I only remember it because it's very silly. That's so funny. I just remember it was like, they're dating and it's cool. And they're like, oh, but you're a werewolf. But, like, it was, like, very, like, teen angsty. Like, can I be with you and once a month I have to lock you up? And you're like, okay. Yeah. My other werewolf recommendation is um, from the 12th century, <laughs> and it's um, Marie de France. Uh, Marie de France. Her lays. She includes one called Bisclare, and he is um, a werewolf who gets tricked into revealing his secret by his wife, his like unfaithful wife, and so she steals the clothes that allow him to transform back into a human, um, and he's condemned to live as a werewolf, and he makes friends with the king um, by behaving in a very sort of un-werewolf-like manner, and he he becomes a favorite at the court, um, and eventually her perfidy is, or perfidity is discovered, and, uh, you know, he, he sort of like they take the werewolf side, which I I really like in this particular story. Um, but and it, how yeah. might we consume this 12th century story? <laughs> well, Where I reckon it's available. No, it's it's widely available um, in translation. It's just uh, Marie Marie de France um, and her lays L A I S. And if you just Google it, there are it's a, it's a lay. I know that in Tolkien there's the lay of Luthien, but like. I'm laying down some facts, or what? What's the? What? No, no, like a, um, I think it's like a narrative poem, um, so like poem songs, basically that like tell short stories. Okay. Terms. Cool. Yeah, that reminds me of like in the Angela Carter's some of the those stories. There's the sort of a connection with clothes and like, like uh, I think there's a thing that if you throw clothes at a wolf or a werewolf, he might turn into a back into a man, or like this, like this. The connection between wolves and uh, no, the between werewolves and clothes and kind of like maybe the nakedness is kind of sinful and kind of bestial and kind of like savage. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was interesting to huh. kind of, this idea that clothes make the man and like like if you take your clothes off, you're all 
Well, I suppose like a lot of lunatics or crazy people would run off, run with their clothes off, and like. Right. So maybe yeah, you you find someone who has some mental issues running around naked in the streets, and it's like he he turned in for being a werewolf, you know. Yeah, um, it changed his skin. Interesting. There's the Swan Princes, right? Isn't it where the sister has to make like magic sweaters or something, and she knits. Oh yeah. A shirt yeah, like for each of her brothers gets... and. Yeah, it's her family gets turned into swans or geese, and mm-hmm. she has to knit sweaters from, like, fire, or from, like, barbs or something. Oh, and nettles, then, like, right? Isn't it nettles? Nettles, something something mm-hmm. really, really painful, and, like, she's, like, if she doesn't do it, it within... What are nettles? Like, stinging plants. Mm-hmm. Plants yeah. that hate you. You don't have nettles where you live? I just wouldn't like there's like a lot of words that I to describe nature that I just like accept as like oh that's a description of something from nature but I don't know what specifically it is like a thicket what the fuck is a thicket it's like a bush right like a, yeah, it's like a bush. I, I I assume it's yeah. just a bunch of like stuff thickly grown together but like is it is it I don't know yeah um, what, what's the point? Yeah. What? like is think about poison ivy like but like sharp instead of itchy oh hmm. Or like those cactus, like have you ever touched one of those cactus where it looks fuzzy but it's not, and then you want to die? A teddy bear mm. cactus. Those are the or like the thorns cactus. in like Sleeping Beauty, like you know, like that sort of thing. Yeah, that would, would be. Would that, be, a... that be nettles? Well, nettle is no, more no. like a poison no. or like a oh, venomous thing. It's, I mean, it's uh, it's transmitted by touch. You get a bit of a rash from it, but they're not yeah. too too bad and you can make soup from them and stuff like they're quite common in finland at least, I'll, I'll admit sometimes i read things in fantasy and i just sort of pick up contextually what they're going after and i never look it up you know but it's like yeah. what is a jerkin i don't know you know like it's a, it's a shirt uh, a is it's a shirt. kind of it's like a tunic clothes. yeah it's I think a jerkin is kind of like a yeah. vest i think yeah it's like the overshirt right? like the leather yeah. overshirt I didn't know what a parapet was actually until quite recently when it was a crossword question where I was like, I, the answer was parapet. And I was like, oh, that's what it is specifically. I was like, I know it's like on a castle. <laughs> and I was like, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, those are interesting words like the idea that a castle and a fort, fort just means strong. <laughs> and it's like, like fortitude. And it's like, this is a strong place, fort. Let's put a fort here. Fortified language is weird. Me a fort, yeah. yeah me a fort is always like. <laughs> hey, if I'm here, it always becomes language cast. Okay, <laughs> it's the facts. There was actually Stronghold. a rule in my knitting club. Yeah. In my knitting club, three of us were linguists, and there was like a rule where we could only talk about linguistics for like a certain amount of time because everyone else would get really mad. That actually. <laughs> Sounds like a great time, just knitting with linguists. I would like to also shout out the uh, Telltale Games Wolf Among Us game. That's a good, nice game if you like like um, fairy tales and you get to play as this cool werewolf guy as well and rip people's arms off if you want to and make choices and interact with Snow White and Beauty and the Beast and... and uh, characters like that and it's kind of like this I don't know dark urban fantasy take on all of those fairy tales so yeah and uh, I like that I like that if you want to <laughs> you don't have to rip people arms off, but if you want to yeah, it's actually like Grendel whose arm you can rip off but 
it's a it's a choice you can make. You can either rip it off or not rip it off. Oh, poor Grendel. But yeah, I would like to thank my fellow podcasters for joining me on this creature chat on werewolves. And uh, do you guys have any upcoming podcasts that you would like to like to advertise here at the end? Well, as I said, no. Scotch uh, sorry, Chuck, you're kind of breaking up. I can't. The audio is a little bad. I can't can't hear you. Could you repeat that? Ah, oh, sorry. Um, we have the Scottish film that will be done now. Uh, so the movie Roundtable with Duncan. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And did you actually yeah. talk about Dog Soldiers on that one? Yes, I did. Dog so Soldier. we have a bit of a werewolf connection there as well. Yeah, and then there's the Final Witcher uh, book cast, which will be recording soon. Should be out soon. Are you done with the books? I think tomorrow we're recording the final one. Okay, so the end of an era, I suppose. Um, I don't know. Last time I I said that I was going to do a podcast on Snowpiercer and what we do in the shadows, but I have not put up a call to arms to either of those yet, but I still might. And uh, I just think the next Creature Chat will be upcoming as well, but I have not yet quite decided on a topic. I think Fairies might be a good one, and giants are good as well, but I'm still open to suggestions as well. All right. Would dwarves qualify as like a creature chat? Now we start to get into like mythical races. Like, I don't know if that I could probably do one on dwarves or take like elves and dwarves in one, but I think that's probably a little later really on. I think I'm going to. I think I want to tackle these more kind of, I don't know. Creaturey creatures or like popular creatures first. Yeah, I'd like to do one yeah. on um like demons and like evil spirits or you know like that kind of thing. Eventually. Oh yeah, that'd be but, cool. Um, that's the only thing I think I actually know any information on that I've like studied because I. Oh yeah, I got some creature chats. On that. Yeah, oh, yeah I demons I and devils cool. and stuff like that would be definitely cool. Oh yeah, and undead I, and ghosts and zombies, oh, zombies would be another. Oh, yeah, I would love. I. Oh, I went through the biggest zombie phase when I was growing up. <laughs> would you be okay with that, Sarah? Since you've been, you've said that you are very afraid of ghosts. I'm. Am I afraid of ghosts? I. I have. Sarah ain't afraid of no ghosts. ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I know who to call. Um, yeah, no, that'd be that would be fine. I don't think I would be unduly triggered by a ghost chat. I think that would be fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that would be like undead would be. I like that one. That's cool. I just I feel like I come on these creature chats and I was like, I know one pop culture thing about what we're talking about, and that's my whole basis. <laughs> no, you were very informative and cunning and wise. <laughs> but if we do one on like demon spirits, I actually I had to do a whole unit on um, kabbalistic demon things in like mm. Jewish literature. So yeah, that's like a stuff. huge umbrella though. The yeah. demons and evil spirits, but I think they're very important to talk about as well because I feel like they are uh, present in all cultures almost. Yeah. Even ours. 
Yeah, okay. Well, I think that about wraps it up. So thanks everyone. And I will I will edit this in <laughs> sometime in the future and then it will be released. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Peter. Bye. Werewolves, not Bye. werewolves. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to talk about the werewolf.